Hey there, and welcome to Yes, a Stripper Podcast. On this podcast, we'll discuss how classifying each other as people and workers is dangerous to society and marginalized groups of people. We'll also talk about the climate in and outside of the strip clubs and all of the amazing things that strippers do. And of course, we'll talk about all of the things in between. I'm your queen, A.M. Davies, and this is Yes, a Stripper Podcast. Hello, babes of the world. Here it is, another episode of Yes, a Stripper Podcast. Uh, This episode is special, okay? They're all very special, but this one is incredibly special because it's with my queen, my mentor, my Sagittarius sister, Antonia Crane. A little thing about Antonia's name is there's two ways to pronounce it, Antonia or Antonia. And I get asked this question a lot by people who say her name when they hear me say it. They're like, wait, you say it like that? And it doesn't matter which way I say it. People usually always stop and question me. Um, But she's just got one of those names that you can kind of pronounce either way, just like some people call me AM and some people call me AMD. So for those of you out there who have been wondering this whole time how to pronounce Antonia Crane's name correctly, you just got a little lesson. This woman is so special to me. She has taught me so much. She is the catalyst for uh, my um, dissipation of my horophobia. Um, it was it was already on its way out the door, but there were a few key lessons that this queen gave me, and she is really literally the reason why my horophobia is completely gone now. So much thanks and gratitude to her. And she is the reason that I know so much about unionizing strippers and about laborers and about the systematic wage theft that we have been experiencing as strippers for the last few decades. So it was such an honor for me to spend time with Antonia. This is a longer than normal podcast for us because much like the podcast right before this one with Gigi Holiday, I just didn't want to stop talking with them. Um, she, Antonia is fascinating and we have so much to talk about and believe it or not, we talk almost every single day of our lives and we never run out of things to talk about. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode with my Sagittarius sister, my mentor, my queen, my everything, Antonia Crane. Hello everyone. You are listening to a most epic episode of Yes, a Stripper Podcast. Long overdue, my mentor, my queen, my partner, my everything, Antonia Crane, is joining me today. Oh my God, what an intro. (laughs) I mean, you know, I, I wanted to wait to have you because we have so much to talk about and I wanted to be prepared to be with you because I look up to you in so many ways and I just wanted to be prepared. You're a professional. You are, um, I admire you and all of the work and the things that you've done. And, um, you know, to me, this is a really important interview. So I wanted to, yeah. Well, same Z's you, I I brag about you constantly. You're one of the people in my life that I am always so proud to know, and I always learn so much from, and not only your huge, beautiful heart, but also just, it's the integrity with which you approach everything in your life. And 
the integrity by integrity i mean it's so palpable like how you resolve conflict how you show up how you own your side of the street how you how you love mm. and so i i love you so much i am really excited to be here i'm so proud of you I'm so proud to know you and to have you be my queen and my sister and my partner. And I think about you all the time and I brag about you constantly. Same. So. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, so something that I credit uh, learning from mostly from you is how, to, how like overcoming my horophobia, like, I was kind of, I was on that path, but it wasn't until, um, something in particular had happened, um, where we were on a group call with other mm -hmm. sex workers and I used the P word in front of, um, sex workers. And I, I was ignorant at the time of vernacular to use and, um, the whole call kind of exploded and was like, whoa, 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 this is a safe place and really put me in my place. And I would say it's one of the first times in the most extreme times that I was publicly and um, quickly put in my place. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And um, you were there for that. Do you remember that moment? I do. Um, that's a beautiful way to say that. And, you know, we're always learning every second. Right. I we make mistakes all the time. You know, we have to, we're, things have to change and we have to change them. And, you know, it's, um, I do remember that moment. It was, um, it was a strip talk and um, we were all, it, there were a lot of people coming to those calls and it was right when 85 passed and we were doing strip talk, which meant that it, um, people were coming into a space, a virtual space. And we were talking about AB5 and we were talking about the dynamics decision, which makes um, strippers employees yeah. in California and what we wanted to do about that. And it was pretty exciting because it was just kind of the beginning of what you and I have been growing and growing. And so yeah. um, we have a lot of um, different you know, we are a intersectional as fuck group, you know, that yeah. we have young members, older members, veterans, everything in between, you know, um, all races, all types of people. And um, uh, I think you used prostitute. I don't actually remember you doing it, but I know that one of the founders, one of the founding members is Latinx and gender nonconforming. And so I actually learned a lot from them as well, you know, about language and about Mm -hmm. non-binary gender um uh gender pronouns and and stuff like that and and we're constantly learning and growing and so yeah. i remember that coming up and uh also um all sex workers go to heaven i think we're on the call as well and mm -hmm. you know we're always all the time called out and your grace the way that you handled that was really admirable and really exemplary um so i remember with that happening and i remember them turning to me and being like you deal with her <laughs> and it was because like um, we you know we were getting to know each other and we vaguely knew each other yeah i mean i've, I've watched you for years dance as a dancer at yeah. jumbos and we had some friends in common and i was always mesmerized by your show and your energy and uh 
so I knew you kind of, I knew of you and I was getting to know you more. And they were like, you yeah. go deal with her. And they would often make me go deal with the white ladies. It was like, I always had to go deal with the white ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fair. And that's my yeah. job and that's fine. And it's, that's, you know, I, I will always do that. And I'm doing that. And um, so, and I, you know, I already really loved you. I already liked you. And like, so I think I was going to New Orleans. I think I was going to maybe, um, work Mardi Gras or something. And I remember, I remember the, the way that I change is when, when someone tells me their personal experience, I don't change with someone like yelling at me or like, you know, cor I mean, correcting me, sure, but like not in a way it's hard to, um, it's hard for me to process things if I'm being yelled at. Yeah. It's because I was raised, there was a lot of violence in my home. And so I actually, this wall goes up and I can't actually hear you if you're yelling at me. Yeah. Like I actually literally can't hear you. Like I can't under, I have no idea what you said. Hmm. And if someone's really mad at me, I actually have to take notes because I get like a reaction where I can't take information in. Yeah. And I've gotten like easier. I'm learning about how to deal with conflict and how to be in my body and remain and not like shake and go nuts if somebody's mad at me. But like, yeah. I, it was one of those times where I'm like, I remember that and I'm like, I'm not gonna come down on AM. I'm going to just share my experience, strength and hope. And so what happened was I wrote to you from New Orleans, from my little room. I remember being in my bed um, in New Orleans and being like, I'm just gonna share with her what happened to me. And what happened to me was in a nutshell, I was working in San Francisco, at a place called Market Street Cinema. And the clubs were, it was all nude, full contact, and it was $60 a song, two songs for a hundred. We were making a lot of money. This is 1995, 96, 97, somewhere in there. And I was also working at other clubs as well. I worked at the Lusty Lady also in Shady Paris. San Francisco is like a seven mile town. So it's a little bit like Portland where you can kind of go from club to club. Yeah. So you're working at all these different clubs. But what was happening was Deja Vu and Spearmint Rhino were buying all of these little clubs. And so you'd go to work. I would go to work and everything was different. And they were like charging us these stage fees. And it got to the point where at first they were charging us like a 40 to $80 stage fee, which we know this is illegal. We know this is wrong. Yeah. But imagine going and working for a couple of years and being charged 40 to 60 bucks and you know, it's wrong. You pay the money. And then one day you go in and it's 180 for four hours and then it's 160 and then it's 210. Every night it's different. It's arbitrary. That right. was what happened when Deja Vu was buying all of the clubs. So what was happening at that time, the women that I worked with, were giving hand jobs like that started happening girls started doing extras is what we called it yeah and they were doing extras and i was not and i didn't know and i had horophobia and i was like oh well i don't i don't do extras like they're doing extras i don't do that right and what was funny was that i loved the women that i worked with i always loved them i had tons of friends like my ass was saved over and over by other dancers, particularly yeah. women of color, particularly black strippers. Yeah. So one night, um, it was when Deja Vu bought our club and all the clubs on Market Street, and they were charging us these crazy fees. My friend and I were house girl features, which I did several times, which is when the house girls are the featured performers, and you're there all day, and you do give like four shows a day, and it's three song sets, and you're just, you make a pile of money, you don't pay stage fees, we did a set 
that involved like a little kiddie pool mm. with like, and we were like pretending to wash and da da da. We were doing this clean set and it was all like thematic. And we were like washing with our little loofahs and like, yeah. like pouring pretend water on ourselves and like rubbing our titties together, washing. We looked out at all of our siblings that were working with their hands on their hips, cracking up watching yeah. us. And I was like, why are they laughing at us? Cause I was like, okay, like this is silly. We know this is silly. It's cheesy. Right. Right. But like, why were they laughing at us? And we found out later that they were laughing at us because they were cracking jokes that we were the clean girls. Yeah. Oh, the clean girls. And I realized that um, those, the girls that were making fun of us, they were actually in the right what they were doing is they were surviving and they were giving hand jobs safely in a private room with their whatever, whatever made them feel safe, their antibacterial uh -huh. wipes and their gel. And they were getting that over with so that they could get that stage fee paid quickly so that they could pay, make their 500 to $1,200 and go home and pay their rent, feed their kids, take care of their parents, their siblings, their loved ones. They were working smarter. They were working nice. smarter in that scenario. They were like, okay, give the hand job and then move on with your night. Right. And I was like, they were right. I was being horophobic. I was holding it against them thinking I was better. Yeah. And thinking I was clean and better and that was dirty and wrong. And like, you know, it's no one's business what happens in a strip club. And like, I had also like, I crossed my own line and I realized like, okay, this is the situation in which we found ourselves. It's wrong. I don't know what to do about it. I didn't know what to do about it at that time. That being not the hand job thing, but just in general, the extortion thing, mm -hmm. being extorted to that degree, being um, coerced, extorted, uh, trafficked in a way, mm -hmm. which is a complicated topic, but I feel like it needs to be addressed at some point. Um, but yeah, so that was my horophobic moment. And I was like, oh my God this whole time I was like thinking I was better. Yeah. No one's better than anyone. No one's worse than anyone. We're just people trying to survive. Right. And yeah. prostitute. Yeah. Go ahead. Prostitute. There's one other specific story to me is that I was incarcerated. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you got to that part in my book yet. I finished your book at one. Oh, you did? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> So, as you know, um, I was arrested um, the day before a local election. It was, I can't remember if it was um, 2010 or 11. I was arrested for prostitution. That is a misdemeanor. And, um, and prostitute is the carceral term that they use to criminalize us. Right. And what we are doing is not wrong. And it's, it's, it's two consenting adults. And I was arrested just discussing, giving a hand job, um, and, um, and I was incarcerated. So prostitute is actually the carceral term. And so like being called that is, is, is being called like who you are is illegal. Your existence is illegal. Your existence is wrong. You, and you should go to jail. And it's like, I've been to jail. And ever since I was arrested, I stopped using that term. Even though, like, I believe all sex workers, we can use whatever terms we want. Like, Vanessa Carlyle, who's incredible, like, 
calls herself a hooker and has her hooker army and she's comfortable with that word. Like you can call yourself whatever you want, but right. in terms of other people calling us things, um, I don't use prostitute anymore. Right. And neither do I since that day. Yeah. I That's... call it. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm sorry if that hurt. Um, when... I, I'm not, I'm not sorry it hurt. I'm, okay. I'm grateful for it. Like I said, it's, you know, and, and it was in a, I remember everyone kind of going, whoa, 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 like, don't, this is a safe place. And they got upset. And my reaction was, oh my God, uh, I'm sorry. What is the right thing? It, it was like, and as soon as I was like, ah, oh, sorry, what, what do you want me to do? And everyone like kind of calmed down. And then like, you know, there was just about maybe a minute of telling me what the right thing was. And then we moved on. Um, I remember, I recall it not being a very long incident, but I got off the phone like, ah, like deep breath because I felt like I, I was able to deescalate it in my response to their reaction because I realized immediately I was wrong and I was willing, I'm willing to be wrong. And I, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have learned the lesson I learned and I wouldn't have been able to then disseminate that information in the position that I am with a voice that people listen to. I, need I appreciate it. that. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. It changed my oh, life. You're welcome. Yeah. I hear that. <laughs> yeah. I hear that. I, I mean, we're here to learn and grow and uh, we have to, like, we have to be open to it. Um, even though it's hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, so since we mentioned your book, um, spent your memoir, I, I had to like tell myself when to stop reading it. So, because I'm like, okay, you have to fall asleep, you know? Um, it was so incredible. It was so, I, I was just like enthralled. And then there was a couple times where you like start writing a part of a story and I'm like, oh my God, where is this going to go? And then the story goes where I don't think it's going to go. I'm sure that's by design. <laughs> well, like, what are you talking about specifically? Um, dang Dang it. I don't know. There were two specific ones. Um, oh, oh, one of them was, um, I think the, the guy, when you got to the van, um, it was when you were about to get arrested and I thought they were going to kidnap you. That's what I thought was happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, they're going to kidnap her. And then something happened else. And I was like, Oh, but that, this also sucks too, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, and then there was, I think I thought either that you were going to get kidnapped or raped or something. I was really worried that you were going to get raped in one of the stories and you didn't, um, uh, because it was the way you kind of set it up. Like it, we went and it, I, I can't remember specifically, but it was so, your writing is so intense that I'm just like drawn in, like wanting to anticipate the next thing. Um, so thank you. I'm yeah. So flattered that you read it and I'm happy that you did. You don't know that part of me. And so I was just like kind of eager for you to read it just because we're so close. Yeah, we are. And I, I know it, but I don't know it. I didn't know it to, um, you know, the details, but I knew, you know, the, the job at the parlor and I knew, um, I think I knew that you had been arrested. I've been arrested too, but not for sex work. Um, yeah. Getting arrested blows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, but I just enjoyed it so much. And, and, um, you're, you know, you talk a lot about your mom and I just like, I wish I could have met your mother. Um, she sounds like such an incredible influence on you. And 
yeah, it was really nice getting to know you and understanding you as the person you are today based on your past experiences, which I don't think a lot of us get that opportunity to learn from each other. Like, what was your childhood like? Exactly. Like, I feel like that's really a huge missing piece in this pandemic time mm-hmm. is that that time together to bond and really get to know the people that we are working with at Soldiers of Pole. Like, it's just, it becomes so alienating kind of where it's like, I really want to get to know people, but all we have is text and Zoom right now. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to yeah. know like, hey, well, are your parents alive? Like, right. do they know you do sex work? Like, what is your life like? I mean, where yeah. did you grow up? Like, we don't, there's just so much I don't know that I wish I could know. And it feels so awkward right now. It does. Everything feels fragmented and compartmentalized. Yeah. yeah. Joyless and, and compartmentalized in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this- yeah. So my mom died. For those that don't know, I wrote a book. I thought I was writing a book about stripping and of course the lusty lady union effort which I was a part of and worked there while that was happening and you know my journey through the sex industry but when my mom died a week into grad school I couldn't get her out of my mind and so I ended up writing about my mother's death Um, my mother died of cancer like a week into grad school I was supposed to be writing fiction and I just told my professors like I can't and they, they just let me write nonfiction. so my degree is in fiction but I almost entirely wrote nonfiction the entire time I was in grad school and I just couldn't get her her body out of my mind and like I would be meeting clients and just thinking about her body yeah and so that's why that there's this braided part kind of like where there's like you're reading about this thing that's happening um at the real four seasons not um not the landscaping (laughs) not four seasons landscaping that bomb ass place (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Not Four Seasons Landscaping, but and actually, actually, I don't even think it was Four Seasons, but it was similar to that. But, yeah. uh, but I couldn't, you know, we were meeting these clients and, um, and I was, and I couldn't get my mother's um, dying body out of my mind because that's how it kind of like was at that sure. moment. So sure. I ended up writing a lot about my mother and she was very much an activist also and very much a loud mouth. She was very articulate. She spoke, she learned Spanish or she spoke Spanish for no reason. Like Humboldt is a very tiny, like basically the Redwoods, but she was a very kind of, she was very powerful. Yeah. And strong. And she would have loved you actually. I wish you guys would have met. She would have loved you and Jordan so much. Yeah. And Nat, oh my gosh, she would love Nat. Oh my God. Yeah. She was cool. Like she loved all of my friends. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, cool moms really help make kids like rad, you know? shout out to cool moms everywhere totally I mean I think that that is one thing we have going for us as sex workers and activists is that like you know hey I didn't have a mom who hated me and was trying to kill me or um or a sister who was trying to fuck my boyfriends I just didn't have that like my mom really loved her friends and her girlfriends and and I, my heart goes out to people that have a different experience, but I do feel that I got lucky in that area where like, it really made me like love women. And like, I yeah. really loved my friends and they were such a huge priority in my life. And like my mom's girlfriends were like her priority in her life. Yeah. So love that. yeah, I think it helps. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, I we have to talk about soldiers of pole um, a bit. Yes. 
you know, um, yeah. So you are really, you're the founder. It was your, you know, you started that with two other people, um, you know, and it's, you know, I just want you to talk about that and like your vision and, and how and why you started it. I want to make sure people understand the origins of that. Cool. Thank you. Um, it started at a SWAT meeting, which seems perfectly perfect (laughs) that it happened at a December 17th event, um, which is a SWAP's annual event where they have kind of a party slash vigil where they read the names of dead sex workers in that year. So, um, we were doing an event there, you know, sex workers of all stripes were there and AB5 had just passed and the dynamics decision ruling, which ruled that dancers, strippers, sex workers were our employees, the ones that go to a, a club and work inside that club. Yeah. Um, I say that because there's been a lot of conversation about like, what does this mean for doms that work out of houses? And what does this mean for other types of sex workers that go in places with other sex workers? Like, I, I'm not sure what that means. Um, right. My guess is the same thing that people are just kind of, that clubs, businesses, people are extorting the workers and still coercing them to hand over half their money and things like that. Yeah. So it happened at a spot meeting and um, we were just like, we need to union. I, we, were, we were like, we need to unionize you guys. Like this is happening. And there was also no um, place for strippers to mm. gather and I've always felt that in Los Angeles. And I think it's partially that Los Angeles is a sprawling suburb basically. And things are so, it's just so big and sprawling. It's really hard to find each other and be together. I agree. And uh, you agree? You think so? Definitely. Yeah. I definitely agree that there didn't seem to feel like there didn't seem to be a community. Yeah back in the day now I think there's a lot more of a community but I think that's largely in part thanks to soldiers of pole um and probably the law changing and everyone having to have discussions around that but I would say before the communities were restrained to the club that you were working at at the time or the company like say I worked at Spearmint Rhino so my community was more than one Spearmint Rhino you know um well, but, imagine being in San Francisco and ha- working at all of the, let's say you work at four clubs, you know, all of those workers. And so it's easier to organize. Right. Yeah. Because you're bouncing around to so many different ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that happens a little bit here. I mean, let's face it, nothing is happening right now, right here. <laughs> Our numbers of Corona are horrifying, but um, regardless, I mean, we have to kind of do what we can. So basically the SWAP meeting, SWAP is actually a fantastic organization and is very inclusive and they do great work. They do incredible work and they bring people together and have events and it's fantastic. Um, But the stripper thing was important to me because um, of the, the AB5 decision and the ruling because it's such a specific industry. It's just different. And it just like the porn performers have their own it's a very specific workforce. There are similarities, certainly. We're with them together. We stand, 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 sit, lock elbows with them, but it is a little bit different. Right. So I knew of organizations in LA run by friends of mine who, but they were only for um, 
filmed performers, adult, um, adult performers, adult entertainers, I think is what they prefer to be called, um, porn performers. Right. And I think it's called APAC, and it's Susie Q, who does the forecast. Um, she is one of the, um, she's in the group of leaders. Uh, and, but there are several of them. I can't remember their names, but they follow us and they support Soldiers of Pole. But what happened was, I think it's called APAC, Adult Performers Action Coalition or Action Committee, I'm not sure. But they had their own thing. And I talked to them and I was like, hey, we passed this ruling, can strippers join? And these are friends of mine. And they, um, they were like, you can't actually, because you have to be a, on film. Like you have to be a recorded performer, a right. porn performer. And I was mad and I fought with her on Twitter because you have taught me actually to like restrain oneself. You're, you have been a huge teacher on that. I just be like, fuck them. But I would just like get in the bats with people. Yeah. And she was like, hey, let's get on the phone. And we did. And I'm just like, you know, it's just that we should be able to join with you because we need a place too. And she was like, okay, well you can, but you know, you have to jump through these hoops. But the thing that I learned AM is that it's actually, it's okay. Sex workers are so stigmatized and alienated and marginalized that guess what? That's fine. They need their space. Like they need their space. And I don't want to be the special one. I don't want a sweetheart deal. I don't want to be the one stripper in their group. Not because like, not because that's not an honor, but because we need our group. We need strippers yeah. to be our own, a group where we can discuss our workplace issues. And like, guess what? They need their private space. So my friend, another friend of mine who's um, a pro-dominant sex worker in New York, I noticed that she kept putting femme power on her signature. And I was like, that's really cool. What is that? And I just decided to like, What's our, I just, in the group of founders, I just decided like, hey, let's just find a name for ourselves. Since APAC has their thing, it looks like people can just kind of choose a name and maybe put it on their signature and then maybe they got the trademark, maybe not. But I think we need our own thing. And um, the two uh, previous founders who did really great work and important work, by the way, and they were very creative and powerful and fierce. Um, we were like, well, what's our, like, what's our work weapon? like? construction workers maybe they have a um hammer and nail or like a chainsaw or like a i don't know maybe loggers have a chainsaw or maybe like you know kitchen people who work as kitchen staff if they did a union maybe they would have like a, like a, a whisk a oh what yeah exactly and i was like well what's our thing well pull pull is really the thing that sets us aside yeah. it really sets us apart from porn, the porn industry and and from even like full service sex work or like, not that those two don't overlap. There's a lot of overlap, but like, that's kind of our work thing. Like we, we do the poll. Right. Right. And so the reason soldiers of poll, because I thought SOP was cute <laughs> and soldiers is um like to soldier. I don't mean it in a military sense. Um, I mean it in the most peaceful, nonviolent sense. I mean it in the sense of being together as a group and moving forward together and that it is a battle and that the labor war, it is a battle. And I know that it's going to be an uphill battle. Like I know that, and we have to be together. Yeah. And so that's why I'm an, um, what am I? I'm like a daughter, a stepdaughter. I'm an adjacent veteran for peace. Mm -hmm. So like I'm invited to a lot of veteran for peace things. And I was going to go to standing rock uh, for veteran veterans for peace when they were at standing rock, but the weather got totally nuts and they were like, do not come. Right. So um, like the night before I was supposed to go. 
So I think it's not like a military, like battle weapons, military soldiers type of thing, but it's just that as a group together, we have to battle ahead together nonviolently and move toward and fight this battle together. Um, Not violently, but, you know, persistently, persistently. So yeah, that's how we came up with you. And um, so we grew and changed and did a lot of work. We had a wildcat strike, as you know, you were there yeah. right after your surgery. Yeah. And uh, we got a lot of press for that and got some press. We were on the news and yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there have been failures. I think it's really important. I'm at an age where I want to, I want to know all of our failures quickly so that we know how to push through them and learn. Um, and I, and I, we had some failures of connection with other strippers and but we also had a lot of, um, triumphs yeah. and the triumphs were like strip talk was great. Like joining with the me too movement was great. Like having access to swap and other sex workers and seeing them show up at our strike was amazing. And yeah. so there've been a lot of triumphs and, um, and there have been some failures like, because I haven't, I haven't figured out how to really connect the dots in Los Angeles County and Orange County and stuff and really like become like more cohesive as a group and talk um, and really like figure that out. That's a challenge. Yeah. But anyway, would you agree? Do you think we've had some failures and some successes? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yes, definitely failures, definitely successes. And I think that that, that same I think that'll continue, that we'll continue to fail and succeed as we grow. Um, Yeah, I think, so it's interesting that you said December 17th, because I'm I'm assuming that's December 17th, 2018, that you guys were like, this is being formed. The very next day was my accident. Yeah. Oh my God. So you and I were connected at the time. I remember Mm -hmm. in the hospital. Um, yeah. so, and then I think the wildcat strike was in February and I literally mm-hmm. rolled up on my knee scooter. Yep. Um, yeah. And so it's, I, I didn't realize that soldiers of pole got formed the day before my accident. I thought it was a couple months before, but it, I think it was a couple months before. Maybe it was a couple months before. Was it? Maybe it wasn't the December 17th. Maybe it was a couple of months. I think it was a couple of months before that. Maybe. But maybe it was like, you know, you got inspired on that that particular night. Because, yeah, we had been friends. Because I had I remember hunting you down to be my friend. <laughs> hey, I'm easy to find. <laughs> I was not like. Hard, not hard to find me. <laughs> you have to be my friend. I remember just thinking like, oh, she's up to something. And whatever she's up to, I want to be a part of it. I could just tell, you know. Yeah. I could just tell. Yeah. You too. I mean, you, we were connected by the stripper parade. Yes. Remember the stripper parade? Yes. And then you had something that you weren't ready to talk about. And you were like, I was like, you know what? I trust you. And I trust that when you're ready to disclose the thing that you've got up your sleeve, Mm -hmm. I am going to be ready to hear that. Um, But I feel, I understand that if people aren't ready to disclose their plans, I respect I have, I have respect and like, I, I get it. And, um, I, so we I both have our sleeves, I think. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I was, I was definitely being very private, um, 
about, you know, starting a new venture in the stripper industry. Um, something yeah. that I talk to people individually, but not something that I'll say publicly on the podcast. Sure. Um, but I do in the private conversation, I do talk about it to people. But yeah, I think we just both got the sense that we were, do you remember when we sat down and we met each other in um, that little cafe in Highland Park? You were like, we, we were like, you know, did the pleasantries and then you were like, okay, mm -hmm. so, um, so what did you want to meet about? I was like, you told me you had something you wanted to talk to me about. You're like, oh, I thought you had to talk to me about something. I'm like, no. Well, I mean, yeah, but no, I thought. And so we, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love was, it. Yeah, there was really no defined agenda. We just, I don't know. I think we both knew, like, we just have to make this happen. And so, yeah, um, yeah what a my favorite. I remember I called you. I don't know why I called you or did you text me? And I was like, where are you? And you were like, I'm in the hospital. And I'm like, I'm coming there right now. And yes. like, it's okay. My parents are here and it's fine. But like, did I just feel, did I text you and be like, where are you? Cause I hadn't Probably. seen you. Like well, I didn't have a phone for a few days because it got smashed in the accident. Okay. Um, and then, and then I was just like inundated with phone calls and lawyers and doctors and like um yeah so uh yeah I remember getting that text like where are you and I called you I was like uh yeah. my foot is gone <laughs> I was very worried for you um I was actually supposed to go to work and I didn't go to work I was like I'm gonna go see her and uh, you were like no, no it's fine like my, yeah. my parents are here my friends are here yeah but I was very worried and upset and I did not go to work that day oh I'm sorry was, oh no I mean I I was very concerned like it's yeah um, you know, this, this moment this was a very life-changing moment for you in your life and a very career-changing moment and a pivotal oh, yeah. moment and yeah. a very difficult thing to go through yeah, definitely. But I think that it was a defining moment in my activism work as well, because it yeah. was like, okay, now what? And also, you know, finding out only a couple months later that I did not qualify for disability or unemployment was really like something that really pissed me off because here I did, I danced for nearly 18 years you know, I served the city of Los Angeles and other cities for 18 years. Um, and the reason I say service, because like we paid to work, you know, like we were showing up as, as service providers and, and then get, you get nothing on the back end. You get, nobody cares. And that, yeah. that really pissed me off. And, um, and that nobody, and then three weeks later, guess what? Three weeks after that, uh, strippers are employees in California now. So I missed, yeah. I missed being an employee by like three weeks and I'm sure I would have had to get a certain amount of paychecks still to qualify, right? Probably would have had to get two paychecks at least on the books. I don't know the parameters. But um, so I, when I tell that story to other strippers who don't understand the importance of being an employee, I see the wheels in their heads start to turn when I say that. Doesn't matter yeah. if pay your taxes. You have to be specifically paying into disability and unemployment insurance in order to, to have those um, support systems when you need them. 100% that you just said it beautifully. Uh, and your story is a very 
telling and powerful example. It's like, you know, you talk to dancers and it's like, oh, well, I want to be self-employed. Great. You, you want to know how great self, being self-employed is? Being an IC is? No sick pay, no sick leave, no retirement, uh, no partner leave, no maternity leave. Doesn't sound very great to me. No, dis- no disability, no unemployment, no workers comp. Workers comp. Yeah. And we get, we're chronically injured. We get acute injuries and then chronic injuries on top of that. Yeah. I know. I, when did you start dancing, by the way? Did you start dancing when you were like 17? I was 21. I had just turned 21 and it was um, like January of 2002. Did you start in, on the East Coast first and then California? I I started here. At, um, I auditioned at the Van Nuys Experiment Rhino, and they were like, oh, you're, like, too young. Like, these these women will eat you alive, was what he told me. He's like, these women are sharks, and they will eat you alive. You will not – you won't be able to compete here. And so they sent me to the Blue Zebra in North Hollywood. Oh, yeah, I love that. I, I love that. Chops. Yeah. <laughs> you did what there? That's where I got my chops, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I danced for 18 and a half years. I'll be 40 in like two weeks. I know. I know when your birthday is. I know you know when my birthday is because your <laughs> birthday is two days after my birthday. <laughs> Actually, yours is the 25th, right? Yeah. Four days after. I yeah. Thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. My aunt is the 27th. My bad. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So all, you know, we're all just a little stripper family over here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you wrote, and I just wanted to say it out loud, and I would love it's this to be on a t-shirt. It was a sentence that you wrote. It's hard to write with a dick in your hands. Um, <laughs> yeah. It just, I just loved it. So <laughs> I don't really have much well, else to say about it. But then the, the retort, the, the rebuttal to that is then put it in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yes, queen. Um, but I, I know the feeling. Uh, I, when I was doing sex work, I was writing very little, actually, is when I wrote the least, was when I was um, doing, when I was like working in the nude strip clubs was when I was writing the least, now that I think about it. Yeah, it's the system of, it's a hamster wheel of um, the fury of giving so much energy, physical yeah. labor, emotional labor, psychic labor, you know, the dancing, the talking, and uh, it takes a day and a half, it take, well, when I was young, it took like a day to recover, probably, I would t- usually take a day off or half a day off, and as I've gotten older, it takes at least two days, like there's yeah. no way in hell after 40, I would work two days in a row, no way in hell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The recovery is really, it's big. And so like, there was always this recoup time and then you, getting your brain back, like getting your brain working again after being so tired. So yeah, yeah. the writing was, was constantly this cycle of recouping and getting your brain back and writing and then go make the money and do the grind and then recoup and literally back. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. There's so much. Absolutely. I feel like there's so much emotional labor that goes into our job and therefore emotional repair. And 
like something that I've done throughout my career is, and you know this, every now and then I'm like, everyone stop talking to me. I'm closing my curtains and I'm hiding in my room for 24 hours. I don't want to talk to you. And that like, I will, I will get a bottle of wine and smoke weed and watch movies or the, and or the office for like the entire day in my bed because I just need the outside world to just go away just for 24 hours. And then I'm fine. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I love that you do that. I love that you're like, don't ask me anything. Don't ask me for anything. Don't request anything. Don't text me. I love you. Goodbye. And it's yeah. just self-care. You have to, you have to recharge your batteries. Yeah. yeah. I respect that. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they, it's so demanding the job. And then when we're not in the job, everyone's so curious and picking our brains and wanting to write about us and talk. And it's just like, it's kind of hard to get away from. Yeah. In the civilian world outside. of Especially you, you're also like, you're such a, a natural talent in terms of being in the limelight as well. And I know that that's not easy, but right. it is something that you do a lot of. And that also takes a lot from you kind of emotionally and psychically, just like feeling, just feeling the feeling of overexposure, just like, I'm going to hide for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, another, an, you know, when I was reading your book and we have these conversations and I have a lot of these conversations with other strippers, it's like, like I was becoming so nostalgic for the strip club. I was reading it like getting like seriously my heart was like, oh, I want to dance topless and rub my titties in strangers' faces. Like, and then another part of me is like, what in the world? Why? <laughs> like, what? Are, what is this urge? It's like, I need to be in the strip club. I miss it. And like, you know, you danced for over 20 years and there's 25. So- 25 and there's still like I sensed reading it even after being in the strip clubs for over a decade at that point it hadn't been 25 years for for you you were still like feeling at home in the strip club and I feel the same way I walk into a strip club even if it's not one I work at and I'm like (sighs) and I'm home now I totally relate to that a ton I like have goosebumps because I have been really there's a part of me that always longs. I always long to be on stage. I long to be on the pole. I long to be dancing and working with my stripper siblings. I'm always longing for it. And I have, that's been very, I have felt that very strongly for the last few months. And uh, because it's been a very strange time as you know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but uh, yeah, the power and the, the fast money um, the magical conversations, just those micro social conversations that are very deep. They can be, they're they're not always, but, and exhibitionism and the power that we feel when we are exhibiting our sexual power, how that feels to be looked at, how that feels to be absorbed in that way. Yeah. It's big. It's a lot. It's, um, and having that go away is some kind of a, it's a very profound loss at this moment. It's a strange and profound loss. Yeah, yeah, I miss it. I mean, I would, uh, yeah. And there was, a, oh, I wanted to talk about one tiny horophobic thing. Yes. Another aspect of my horophobia that came later in life was the fact that I was always quitting. I was always going to quit. I'm going to quit. Mm. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I gave away, I've probably given away like three U-Hauls full of stripper clothes. Like I'm quitting. I'm done. 
I'm 30, time to quit. Yeah. I've got to get out of here. This is sad. I'm such a loser. I'm a loser. I can't do this. I'm, this is horrible. This is saying something terrible about me as a human. I'm, I'm a loser that I'm still dancing. I can't dance. It's not that I would think that of other dancers. I, I wouldn't consciously, but certainly it was there, but consciously I wasn't thinking other people were losers. It was very about, I had to move on. I, this is terrible. And like getting back into the industry is terrible and I have to get out. And it's like, what is that? Honey, that's horror phobia. Why, why, why can't I just at 37 years old feel fine about finding my home in the sex industry again when I'm in grad school, the economy tanked, I don't know how else to make money right now. Like I have every right to make a living. And the sex industry has been an incredibly feasible, creative, fun, lucrative place to make money we have every right to be there as long as we possibly can yeah so i had to really look at that ageism and horophobia that i had <clears throat> i have had that inside of me since i was like probably 20 when i started dancing yeah and i was gonna say before you said ageism it was like on the tip of my tongue that that's also ageism and that we've just been conditioned to believe that once you're past a certain point in your age that you're no longer desirable by the general public, so why even try? True. Um, I mean, I've had men come up to me and grab me by the jaw and hold me up to the light and be like, how old are you? How old are you? How old are you? Saying that people do that. Um, yeah. And people just like guessing my age all day long. And dancers who have internalized misogyny and horophobia, like making comments about me being old and stuff on the floor, you know, and talking about me in that way, just overhearing stuff. But, yeah. You know, and it's just, it's hard, like, but, you know, I had to, like, really address that part of me that was horophobic and ageist, um, because, hey, why not? Work until you're 75. Yeah. You know, be a 75-year-old sugar baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? I, um, I, the older I got, the more confident I got in what I was doing. It was, like, when I was, like, 28 I was like I'm too old for this <laughs> it's 28 I was like why am I still doing this I shouldn't be doing this at 28 I'm aging out and then when I started hitting my 30s I was like eh, it's not so bad and then when I was like right before my accident I'm like I am at the height of my career this is the greatest I've ever done money wise like saving and like being smart and like I was stoked to have that job at 38 still yeah let me tell you something. You want to know the most money I've made in my entire life? Mm. I was 49 years old mm. in the sex industry. Yeah. And then in the club, the most money I've made in my entire life was like 47 or 48. Yeah. I made like almost $1,300. I would work like two to nine and I made that like between four in the afternoon and seven and I left at like 730 you know, with like almost $1,300. Yeah. Cause you're like smarter. Cause you know more stuff now, <laughs> you know? Well, it's also, it's, it's just that being good at something because you're doing it for so long. It's also luck. It's yeah. luck being in the right place at the right time. It's also talking to everyone, like talk to everyone, you know, yeah. and that I, I'm giving away my stripper tip, but like I learned how you just learn the job and, you know, some nights, you know, when you're in your, at the top of your game, even you have nights where your timing is off, yeah. you're not feeling it, 
crowd's not feeling you. Look, the crowd doesn't like me. I don't like me. I don't like this song. I don't want to be here. I have a migraine. Like I had nights like that. Yeah. Uh, but you know the job so well, you can do it half asleep, you know, on a pogo stick with an eye patch. And, you know, it's just, you're, you're going to do it and you're going to do well because you've been doing it for so long. Right. And luck also. Luck is a huge part. That's why I'm obsessed with um, professional gamblers. Because luck is also an important aspect of the sex industry. Yeah, right place, right time, right think? customer, right vibe. Yeah, like what mood are you in? Yeah, yeah there is, there's mm-hmm. so many variables to how much money you're going to make that night. Um, and I think for me, for the biggest ones for me was like, what's my vibe level? Like if I was like not wanting to be around people, that was a night where you're like, okay, I got to call out because I'm just going to go to work and be miserable and like make everybody else miserable and not make money and then waste all of my emotional labor. Yeah. That's so precious. Yeah. I never regretted not going to work. Never, never once. Even if everyone made several grand, I'm like, I had a really nice night off and I needed it. Right. Also with luck, also white privilege. I mean, I can't talk about luck without also mentioning white privilege. It's also yeah. white privilege. It's also being blonde, five seven, fake boobs. Maybe you didn't know that I had fake boobs. I do. I know. Um, yeah. I like But uh, paid cash. Of course. Got audited. Got audited by the IRS. <laughs> can't sneak <laughs> nothing past them. <laughs> you know, there's... Do whatever you want, but there's consequences for every single thing you do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Before we move on to the next segment, I do want to just touch on something that you, that you mentioned about white privilege and about being able to choose, like, um, I, like I'm going to take tonight off because I can. And so many of our siblings out there just don't have that option. And they have had to say yes to every shift um, because it was never determined how, like, they just weren't guaranteed shifts like we were truly yeah yeah i mean a friend of mine in new orleans um gorgeous her body it just you want to cry when you see her body she just is the most gorgeous and smart and brilliant i actually interviewed her for um i used to have a column on the rumpus called recession sex workers and i um interviewed people in all aspects of the industry and she was one of my interviews she went to school to be a, a chef and she succeeded and is a chef and um, not yet. So we were staying in the same place in New Orleans and we're like, well, let's go, let's go work at Rick's tonight in New Orleans. And I watched them come out and tell her, you know, no, no way. We, you know, we have too many black girls on shift. And yeah, the, the South is very, very racist, but the country is very, very racist. And I watched that go down. Yeah. Um, and it's so disturbing and it's yeah. so real. The way that I have dealt with that as a dancer my entire career is I have a goal in my head whenever I go to work. You know, it's somewhere between car payment and rent or maybe I'm saving for something. Um, but I have a goal in my head. I have a number. When I make that number, after I make that number, I leave. Guess why? because there's only a limited amount of hours to work. And there are people that need money way more than I do. Mm-hmm. There are women of color that have children. There's a woman that I work with who's like 40 
and has four kids. And I'm just like, I'm going, I have, I have it. Right. I would just make the money to go home. And if they, they wouldn't let me sometimes go home, I would be like, you can't keep me here. Like, or, and I would just sit there. I would just sit down, sit with my purse. I made my money. I'm going home. Like the minute they let me leave, I'm going to leave. Right. And I did that for that reason, because I know that I have it. I have it good. I don't have children. My mother is dead. And because so that I, I don't really have a family that's on my ass right. that I have to like care for or right. uh, be concerned with um, or any like disabled or otherly abled siblings that I'm taking care of. I am, I know I have it good. I don't have 12 dogs. <laughs> you know, I'm, right. I, I just made decisions. Like I'm a one person church and I have, I have it. So sit there, sit your ass down. Don't be greedy and let them make money and actually tell so-and-so go talk to that guy. He just gave me $500 or whatever. Go talk to him. And I will, and I'll sit there and I'll be like, go talk to him. I already, yeah, talked, yeah. I already danced with him. Um, because that is, I am a worker among workers. First, a worker among workers means it's not me. There's no me. There's only we. And I can see the people not making money and whether they, there's always a reason why something's not working. Maybe they're just having a shitty day and they are not feeling well. Maybe they're a woman of color and need a little lift. Yeah. And are having trouble. Um, but I will just sit my ass down um, yeah. and not, and leave. Yeah. That's great. That's an, you're I mean, it's whatever. I mean, I just, I'm, I have the privilege I have the luxury to be able to do that. And so part of um, my work has to do with knowing what, like I, I have the luxury to do this. So why not do it? Do it. Like right. leave and, and help them, like help them, you know? Yeah. Um, so not everyone has the luxury or the privilege to, to be that, to be able to do that, to extend themselves in that way. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like I'm talking too much. No, you're not. You're amazing. We actually, this is the longer, sometimes my, sometimes the interviews go longer than normal when they're really good. So. That's oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I just, I looked at the clock. Uh, I was like, wow, time is flying. What do you miss the most about being inside the strip club? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I, I think I miss being around empowered women um, expressing themselves freely and sexually. I think that's what I miss the most. I, I used to, you know, in between my sets, just when I was, wasn't talking to a customer just, or even when I was just watching the dancers and I would say out loud and in my head, I could watch this for the rest of my life. I could watch. I know beautiful goddesses sexually express themselves on stage in front of people for the rest of my life. hundred percent. Yeah. So I would say that I agree. I miss the most. I miss going to work. It's dead. We're waiting. We're shooting the shit. We're dancing. We make the DJ play like really cheesy disco or queen or something. And we're just dancing, yeah. shooting the shit, hanging out, playing pool, um, and, and watching them dance too. I just miss that. I miss the camaraderie. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like the How many hours, just hours in the smoking area, talking shit, 
like talking shit, making money together, yeah, sitting around, just laughing our asses off, ordering dinner, um, just the camaraderie, hanging out, making money with each other, yeah, and talking shit and dancing, and the, yeah, for sure the art, the just watching the beautiful, incredible aerodynamic dancing. You know, I've worked on some beautiful, beautiful stages. And yeah, the grittiest, grittiest, most horrendous clubs in the world. Like I know, <laughs> I read it. Horrendous. <laughs> yeah, Vision sounds amazing in New Orleans. That was my favorite club. I know. It was something out of a daydream. It sounds yeah. so fun. So grubby, yeah. And Market Street Cinema was the most disgusting like notoriously disgusting. We called it the skinema. And you would just like, it was so gnarly. And just that. like you walk by and like, there's like pieces of wood with nails sticking out and you scrape yourself. It was just like, it was so disgusting. And it was like the best club in the world. It had four poles, a giant stage, it was just massive. It was just like a massive club. It was like an old movie theater. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like the grossest, best place ever. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Divey. I don't know why that's more cool, but it is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, there was so much money coming in that place. Like I worked at Visions. It was a place for only locals. They turned me away. As you know, you read that in my book yeah. and I would not leave. I refused to leave. Yeah. And um, I was like, they made fun of me for being from California. Um, the land of fruit and nuts. Look at your hair, just yeah. your tan. They would just like make fun of me all day long. And um, I, you know, I made so much money at that club, but I couldn't, when I, when I, I was escorted off the premises for writing an article about being hired and what that was like, how yeah. they grabbed my ass, how they, and they read it and they, I, they escorted me off the premises with armed guards. They, they carried guns in New Orleans, in this part of New Orleans. It was yeah. very embarrassing. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not that dangerous to write an article. That's weird. I know. They were just embarrassed. It was just yeah. like their egos were so like when I went to go work at Penthouse, which is like the best club in New Orleans, um, and it is very posh or whatever, um, they told, everyone told me, don't say you worked at Visions. And I got to say, like my first night at Penthouse, somebody tried to like force my hand inside their pants. Never once did that happen at Visions. Never once. Mm. It was like, it was like, um, I found myself like fighting for my boundaries more at the place that's supposedly like this very fancy club i'm like this is like worse than visions is awesome yeah you know what I mean? but it was that way because it was a class thing because it was a blue collar club yeah i get that I, i'm like going back in my memory rolodex of like the more divier places that i worked and those were the places that i had the most power yeah and yeah. the most fun mm -hmm. absolutely wow Want to be fabulous just like these strippers? Pay attention. It's stripper tips. It's two-pronged, but they go together. My stripper tip, and I'm speaking to people who are kind of newer in the industry, is talk to everyone. Talk to everyone in that club. And the second part of that is never leave money on the table. 
I can't tell you how many times over the years where I was working at whatever club in whatever state and people would be like, oh, that guy is so gross. Like he's disgusting or he looks a certain way or acts a certain way and come to realize that he had five grand in cash on him Mm -hmm. and was ready to spend. Mm -hmm. Um, Frequently what we're taught to believe looks like money is the opposite. Mm-hmm. Millionaires look like they just walked out of like they got their clothes at Walmart and they are disheveled. They drive horribly shitty cars. Those are the millionaires. Yeah. They're the ones that like spilled crumbs on their shirt and they smell like eggs and they have drive up in some yeah. janky uh, hoopty. That's a millionaire. Yeah. Cause they don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good so stuff. talk to everyone. Talk yeah. to everyone. Yes. Queen. Very good. Mm. Uh, But you already knew that. I know that, but everyone else (laughs) needs to learn. Get ready for our rapid fire question round. It's time for four for one. What's something weird that you do that you didn't know was weird until you were an adult? Hmm. something that's weird and I didn't know that it was weird until I was an adult. I have the stupidest cat voice. I talk in cat voice and I do it constantly. And it's like, it took people visiting me and hanging out with me to like catch me in the act of doing it. But it's like sort of all day and I'm totally unaware of it. And it's the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life. (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. Also, I do the same thing. Songs, yes. parodies, voices, nicknames, everything. So I love stupid. it. Yeah, it's like I'm, it's just like it's so silly. It's yeah. great. If there's one quality every human could possess in equal amounts, what would you want that to be? Hmm. Patience, compassion. Mm. Yeah. Intelligence, courage. Yeah. Amazing. Patience, yes. If it were currently possible to travel anywhere in space, how far would you go? Space? Yeah. I don't want to go to space. All right. I want to go. I want to stay right here. We have too much work to do. I can't be wasting my time in the air. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I would. I want to go through wormholes, me personally, to other dimensions, but that's a whole other conversation. Last one. (laughs) What's the most accurate representation of sex workers in film, TV, or books? Oh, good question. Um, I think for every person that's probably different, the thing that moved me the most recently was Florida Project. Okay. It's a movie that came out pretty recently. Sean Baker, he also did Tangerine, which I loved. I thought Pea Valley is a really trailblazing um showing strippers in a way that feels really authentic and really lavish i really loved i like their lavishness their sensuousness okay um books there's a ton of them luckily like we're living in an age where there's a ton of books by sex workers about sex work and there's so many so to just shoot off some um um strip city by lily barana is a classic everyone should read it it's really really great um, Charlotte Shane, Prostitute Laundry is one of the most gorgeous things I've ever read in my life. Um, uh, 
The Romanian by Bruce Benderson is a beautiful, beautiful book about a gay man who falls in love with a full service sex worker in Romania. And it is gorgeous. Um, what am I forgetting? Shauna Kenny, I was a teenage dominatrix is really great. Jack the Stripper has books out and I cannot with authority say that I have read them, but I love how she depicts strippers and sex workers in her art and in everything in her and its words and its stories and its visuals. So I think that that counts as like really great historical and accurate depictions. I love, yeah. I love her work. Yeah. Um, there's so many, I mean, I could yeah. give you like 10, right? I know. I know. That oh, was um, yeah. Lorelai Lee writes beautifully about the experience of being in the porn industry and what that's like. There's just so many. I have, I have many, many favorites. I love it. I knew you would. I knew you'd have a whole list. Thank you. Um, yeah. what, what do you want people to know about how to follow you and learn more about you? Well, Soldiers of Pole, Instagram, IG, with all the underscores for right now, we might change that soon, but Soldiers underscore of underscore pole underscore. Can't underscore it enough. <laughs> and, and at Antonia Crane or Antonia Crane, all of it works. Uh, AntoniaCrane.com is my website, but we're going to give that a nice little facelift soon. Um, SoldiersOfPole.com, we have a beautiful website made by someone I know very well, AM. Um, we have a newsletter you can sign up for, uh, for Soldiers of Pole. I, does that cover it? Our Twitter, Soldiers of Pole Twitter. Mm -hmm. At we have, what's that? We have a Facebook page. Um, but yeah. Okay. I'm really easy to find. Um, you know, I'm really easy to find. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Queen. It was an absolute honor having you here with me today. Um, Likewise. I'm a lifer fan. I'm an obsessive fan. Yes. I love you. I love you. Yay. Thank you for doing this. You're yeah. so good at this. This is so brilliant. Thank you for thank being you. so wonderful. Thank you. I couldn't do it without your community. Yes. Bye, everyone. Have a great time. Tune in next week. Hey, guys, I just want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Yes, a stripper podcast. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube at Yes, a stripper podcast. And of course, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Yes, a stripper pod. Yes, a stripper podcast is produced by Mackenzie Mazel, Shelly Snyder, and yours truly, A.M. Davies. Be sure to email any questions or comments to yesastripperpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow me personally, you can find me on Instagram at thequeenofsexy. You can also check me out on my website, thequeenofsexy.com.